Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks for singing that, and thanks, thanks, Ben, for that song. I know they were here early, uh, practicing and, uh, and preparing. You can have a seat, everyone. Uh, it's good to be together, and I just want to say how grateful I am. Maybe you've noticed on the worship team, and Willie, and Ewan, there's so many people finding their place serving in different, in different ways, and maybe you're still here, and you're not sure what, where your place is, you're not sure how to serve, you're not sure what's the best fit. Let me just tell you, it's never easy to step out to serve. It's always a bit of a risk, and it's always a little bit scary. Uh, you, you might meet someone who's really awkward. There's a few awkward people at church. Some are really annoying. If you meet me, I could be annoying sometimes. Uh, but, it's, but it's worth it as you realize that God is using us together to kind of be the church. And I'm just so thankful again for many of you who've made uh, kind of the adjustment in your schedule to be here early in the nine o'clock service. It helps us a lot as we kind of navigate two services and, and the different uh, things that are, go on, are going on between that. But it feels like a new chapter for our church. And so a few months ago, uh, in one of our elders meetings, the elders asked me if I would kind of do a teaching series on some key values about the 180 church. And so if you're new or maybe you're kind of still exploring faith, this is a good series to help you know the kind of church God is calling us to be and the kind of things we're committed to as a church. And that also helps you if you talk to someone who maybe is not into church. I often get people who ask me about religion or faith, family members who don't believe in God, a neighbor who they're always confused when I say, like, I'm a pastor. They're like, what is that? What does that even mean? Like, what do you do? Right? There's all these questions that people have. So we really pray that this series gives you some language that you could use as you're inviting someone to kind of take that step and maybe find their place with us. It's good for you to know the kind of church that you're a part of the kind of values that we're committed to as a church, the things we're going to encourage you to grow into as a church. And that's what the series has been about. And if you've never thought about the idea of values, uh, maybe, you know, it's, it's kind of like things that maybe go unsaid sometimes. Some of the most important things to us, some of our values, we never talk about them until somebody breaks them. And, and I found that the hard way because I married somebody outside of my culture And if you marry somebody from a different culture, you feel like there's certain values that you feel, and you're like, everybody's going to have the same values on this issue. And my wife and I, after we got married, she's originally from Ontario. Now she's more of a Quebecois than from Ontario. But every time, but every time we got into some argument, I'm always like, well, I see that in a totally different way. And I realized that was because I had a value about a certain thing. And I kept thinking early on in our marriage, how do I tell her that she's wrong? And I was like trying to... None of you do that? No? None of them does that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to think about why certain things bothered me about how we ate or certain times that we ate. And I realized that's just kind of values that over time have come together. All of us have values that we start to believe. Some of those values are just habits. They're passed on by family members or friends. Some of them are beautiful. Some of them change over time. 
But what's amazing is that the Bible invites us also as Christians and as a church to have certain values. There may be like markers. Uh, I think of a post uh, of a fence. You know, they're like markers in the ground to say, you know, this is always going to be important to us. And so we, we started a series about like, as the world is changing, what are some values that are always going to be essential to the kind of church God is calling us to be? And this is important. Because we live at a time where for many people, the church is usually something just for them. And I I know this in my own life. Like when I started learning about God or learning about faith, I just went to church because I had questions. I didn't care about anybody in my family. I didn't care about my own neighbors. I didn't care about anybody. But there's something about these values that I want you to remember and maybe write down, that these values are God helping us to be the kind of church the world needs. Okay, this is important. They're not just learning to be a church so that we can feel spiritual or feel like, oh, we're really in the Bible and everybody else is wrong. No, we're learning to be the kind of church that the world needs and that Jesus actually has called people to be his people for the sake of the world because Jesus came because God so loved the world. And we're learning how to do that. So just as a kind of a a simple test, for some of you, maybe the nine o'clock is gonna be hard because you're like, oh, don't ask us a hard question, pastor. We'll feel like guilty, good. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, wh- what are the first two values that we've looked at so far? Maybe some of you remember. I don't want you to yell them out because it's going to turn into like a heckle fest. Or, uh, but uh, just, just think about it. how many of you remember the first value? Put your hand up if you remember the first value. And if you're going to lie, you're in the church. First value, you remember it? Second value, you remember, remember it? Anybody remember second value? Some of you are like, I, I wish, I wish. Jesus will ask you this in heaven, by the way, so you better know these. It's just a joke, just a joke. But I have them on the screen for you if you've forgotten them. So here are the first two values, first two weeks that we've gone through. One is, what does it mean that we're committed to grace and truth? That's such good news about the story of Jesus and our story. That God always finds us in the messiness of our lives, and he loves us even when we made the worst mistakes, but he never leaves us like that. Right, it's this beautiful reminder that as Jesus is inviting people and healing people and teaching people, he's saying to them that there's a kind of grace that's available to them, but they need to be ready to hear the truth about things in their lives that are broken and messy. And the biblical word, the weight of the word is sinful. This rejection sometimes of even the good things of God. And what does it mean to be a church that practices this? It's great on the screen. But if you, if you missed that week, week number one, we talked about how a church committed to grace and truth knows something really important that to practice that value is always difficult and awkward. It's very hard to do. But we committed together to say when we do this, we always believe because of what the Bible teaches that it's always worth it. Because if just one other person understands that God loves them, and if just one other person starts to grow in the way of Jesus, we are becoming the church that the world needs. And we're learning to do that. The other value is the value we looked at last week, is the value of what does it mean to see the world in all of its mess through a lens of hope. This is hard. Oh, I felt it this week. I thought about this value this week a lot because I don't know, for some reason I was on my phone and I was doing some research and reading and all these things. And for some reason, the few things I read like in a row were all like horrible things happening around the world. Like just the painful things in our culture, the painful things in the education system, the mess in Canada, the mess around the world. There's a war going on and a famine going on. And I was like, I'm just sad. And then I remembered Hope in the Christian faith is a discipline. It's not a feeling. It's not like you're just going to get up and just feel hopeful. It's a discipline to say that in the midst of the broken things around us, we do not view the world the way the world views the world. That we decided we're going to look at the world and all of its brokenness through the lens of an empty tomb. 
that Jesus has conquered death, that Jesus has conquered sin, and that he has the strength to help us see the world in a different way. So if you don't like any of those two values, you're going to hate our church because we're about these things. We're committed to this, and we're committed to grow in this way. And I want to just show you a passage in Scripture. It's a passage in the letter to the, to the Ephesians that captures these two values in a beautiful way. You'll see it on the screen. So Christ himself, this is Jesus' idea, not our idea. Jesus himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves of teaching and ideas. It goes on and on and on. Instead, speaking the truth in love, grace and truth in love, we will do what? We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Jesus himself. It's such a beautiful passage that holds together the sense that there's honesty and truth and grace and the the gift that God has given us to be those who are equipped and who are growing for a changing world. I don't know how you think of your week or your life or the future for your kids or your grandchildren, but I know that one thing will not change that the world will always feel almost like a storm of ideas that are always changing and moving, and you can feel so overwhelmed all the time. And the Bible says, says, you know what? We don't have to be those kinds of people. We don't have to be the kinds of people that feel overwhelmed every time something happens and, and just discouraged and unsure, but we can be anchored in a different kind of way. We can be anchored to some things that will never change. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about value, value number three for our church. Value number three has a lot to do with a theme we talk a lot about at our church, which is the theme of leadership. The theme of leadership. And, and this is the way I frame this value. And what does it mean that we're committed to help you develop into discerning disciples of Jesus? What does it mean that we as a church are committed and have been from the beginning to develop into discerning disciples of Jesus? I, I like this one because I got it all like with the D words. You like that? Some of you, so if you forget this one, you're doomed. You're not going to make it anyway. But th- this one maybe is, is an easier one to remember. And it has to do with the complex idea of leadership in the church. You might not know this, but from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus will do two very important things. He will, one, call apostles to himself. And those are the 12 apostles, and they're very different than the disciples. The disciples, we all get to be disciples, but only a few got to be apostles. And it's very symbolic for why Jesus does this, by the way. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the apostles, actually the 12, are representative of the nations of Israel. And so Jesus is kind of saying, this is what the new people of God will look like based on the teachings of my apostles. So when you think about this, think about the idea that we don't all get to be apostles, but Jesus was calling many, if not all people who taught him, to follow him and be his disciples. Every time I think of the word disciple, I think of a lot of different things. But one of the things I want to tell you for our church is we often think about leadership. And what does it mean that we're developing as leaders who are really disciples of Jesus? And we put the word discerning in front of it, or like I mean, I put the word in front of it, because I want to talk a little bit about discernment in discipleship today. This is probably one of the biggest challenges we face in church. Because you can be a disciple of a lot of things and never grow in discernment and never grow as a leader that says, is my life a reflection of the person I follow? Discipleship was always this tension, and in our culture, there's so much literature, so much stuff written on leadership and followership and conferences. Do you know that the leadership industry in our culture right now is a $300 billion industry? Can you imagine? 
coaching, conferences, retreats, sessions, on and on and on. All of these things are always there. And yet the way of leadership that Jesus invites us to is very different than the way of leadership of the world. And in a few minutes, I want to show you how unique it was when Jesus started to call disciples to himself. To begin, maybe just to help you, I want you to think about discerning in a very important way. When I say the word discern, just what comes to mind right away? Just think about the word discerning. Maybe for you, it's like just figuring out between what's right and wrong. Maybe it's just making a hard decision, so you have to discern, like, which school do I go to? Who do I marry? How do I figure out my finances? I have to discern, right? As a church, one of the most important ways that we discern if people are becoming disciples is, it's no surprise, is if you're practicing our first two values. That's an important thing, because if you're practicing those values, you're learning to be discerning in the way that God is calling you to be discerning in our context. And the word discerning, I think I'm going to do a whole teaching series on it because it's a big word and it's a big biblical category. But I want to connect it to the idea of discipleship or to be a disciple. If you've never heard of the word disciple, thought about the word before, it just means to be a particular kind of student, right? Or to, to be a pupil of a teacher. So it's not like a flashy word. But let me just show you just a, a quick definition. Just go to the next slide. You can see this. I just want to show you that the word disciple, it comes from a Greek word, which is really important. The Greek word is matatias, and it's a student, a student or a pupil who follow with an intentional desire to honor the teacher or the master. It's not just somebody who learns to pass a test. Like we would say, I'm a student, you know, I don't care about anybody else, I just got to get through this. It's actually an intentional kind of learning so that as people see me, they'll be honored by my teacher who taught me. That's a unique kind of way that disciple is talked about in the Bible. And the most shocking thing about this, many people never learned this, is that the Bible uses the word disciple over 250 times. But it uses the word Christian only three. And one of those times, it's in a negative way to be a Christian. So think about if somebody asks you, you know, are you into God? Do you believe in faith? You'll often say, I'm a Christian. But I'll never feel like saying, hey, by the way, no, no, I don't like the word Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Because just hearing that feels weird. Wouldn't that be weird? If you met somebody and you're like, hey, do you go to church? No, no, I don't just go to church. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Somebody says that to you, you're like, you're not coming to the barbecue, bro. It's not going to work. You at the barbecue, it's a no-no. Right? You feel it right away. Like, that's so weird. And over time, what's happened is the word Christian becomes easier to use, but it can maybe lose its meaning that all Christians are really disciples of Jesus. That to be a disciple of Jesus is to be committed to follow Jesus and to follow in his ways. Yes, that means you're a Christian. But it's very easy to just call yourself a Christian and never commit to developing into a discerning disciple of Jesus. And as a church, from the beginning, we thought, like, we don't want to just do that. We want to do what the Bible says. We want to be faithful to what Jesus calls us to do, which is develop people and help them grow as disciples. Not just students that know the Bible better. Not just people who can just make comments on the internet about stuff they disagree with. No, the kind of people that when people see our life, they would be so amazed at our teacher who is Jesus. That that we're honoring the story of our faith by being these discerning disciples who follow Jesus in a faithful way. Now let me tell you something that will never change. You can write this down, you can remember it forever. Everybody is a disciple of something. Nobody just gets up and gets to be a disciple of nothing. Every day we choose what will disciple us, what will shape how we think, what will shape how we act, and we feel this as parents as well. 
Because for a short time, we, we are discipling our kids, and as they get older, we realize, well, now they're hearing things from the world and movies and media, and now other people have a, have a say in their life, and they're steering them in a certain way. So discipleship is not like a one-time thing. It's a lifelong thing of growing into this. And in our culture, I'm, I'm, I've seen this so many times, that people who don't develop into discerning disciples of Jesus usually just become consumers of Christianity. Consumers of Christianity are people who look for spiritual experiences, the Bible, the, the Bible study I like here, a bit of teaching here, I like the worship there, I like the preacher there, I like the lights there, I like the online feed there. And after a while, church is like a gas station where people just can become consumers of their favorite experience and never once have to be discerning disciples of Jesus. If you're part of this church, we will never leave you off the hook on that. If in any way we notice you're becoming a consumer, we will call you back to saying, hey, hey, Jesus called us to be disciples, discerning disciples who grow in his ways and who live in such a way that other people are, he's honored because of our life. Now, if you're just new to Christianity, you came on a good morning because I want to tell you a few things about discipleship that might be new to people who are Christians and people who maybe have been Christian for a long time, that Jesus didn't invent the idea of discipleship. Actually, to be disciple is very common in the Bible times. I want to read a passage at the beginning kind of of the story of Jesus where you have this incredible leader that some of you know of. His name is John the Baptist. And John is a person who he himself has disciples, which is amazing. This is what we're told. John is thinking about this with his followers. And the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things that they see with Jesus or hear about Jesus. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Maybe you never thought about this, but the beginning of the story of Jesus is Jesus coming into a world where other teachers had their own disciples. And when you read this, you know that John, if you're familiar with him, he's the one who's been preparing the people for Jesus. He has disciples, and he has taught his disciples to pay attention to one who is coming, who is even greater than him, who is John. And the disciples of John say, John, like, we saw this guy. We think he's the guy you've been telling us about. And John's like, okay, go back and ask Jesus if he's the one. This is such an important movement in the Bible. And if you're taking notes, I want you to remember this, that John was preparing his followers to go from what was true about the story of Israel to what will be fulfilled in the story of Jesus. One of the ways you can think about it is that John has good disciples. He's a good teacher, but he's preparing them for something great now. And the language that John uses is he'll say, you know, when you see this Jesus that you need to follow, I'm not even worthy to wash his sandals. Like, he's going to come in a way that I can never prepare you for. If you're a parent here, that's one of the greatest responsibilities you and I have, to prepare our kids to recognize when Jesus is calling them to be his disciple. To just get them on a path where they recognize, oh my goodness, mom and dad, grandparents, the church, we're just preparing you for you to hear Jesus say, it's time for you to be my disciple now. This would have been so amazing and crazy. Can you imagine John the Baptist preparing these guys his whole life to just let them go to someone else? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine preparing someone in your work? You apprentice somebody, and after they're at the top, they've done a great job, they tell you, hey, thanks, I'm going to work for the competitor or another company. You'd be like, what, what do you mean? We've just been preparing you to stay with us. John knows something that we all need to learn that to develop into a disciple of Jesus is to prepare people to say yes to Jesus, not to us. To prepare people not just to like us, 
to feel comfortable here with us, but to get to the place where they hear Jesus saying, you must follow me now. I can't imagine how hard it would have been for John to see his disciples begin to go follow Jesus now. And for John to say, he's the one I've been preparing you to follow. He's the one you need to say yes to now. He's the one you need to trust as you move ahead and you move forward now. Just trust him. He will show you the way. Maybe you're here this morning and that's kind of a hard idea to understand. What would it have meant for people to begin to have Jesus as their teacher? What it would have meant for them to have Jesus as their lead rabbi? That means Jesus now will get to interpret the Bible for them even better than John. Can you imagine the first time the disciples of John tell Jesus, you're a better teacher than John. You're amazing. That's amazing. You're more grace and truth we see in you. Like John was different, but you're Jesus. We're following you. This tension that we always forget that now the disciples of John have become disciples of Jesus. You and I are invited to make that commitment, to go from even some good things, some amazing things, even for some of us, maybe it's very painful things. But today, Jesus is calling each of us to grow closer to him and to become his disciples. Now, for some of us, maybe that's a first step. Like, you've never done that before. Or you know somebody that the first step is the, heart, the hardest. It's like, oh my goodness, you want me to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he's the only one who can heal our world? And our... Yeah, it's big. I, when I hear it, that's really big. <laughs> but for some of you, you've taken that step. And God is calling you to discern what it means to grow in this discipleship way of Jesus. And one thing will never change. There will always be competing ideas for you to follow instead of the teachings of Jesus. It'll never change. Actually, in the Bible times, there were some amazing philosophies that people who came to hear Jesus would have heard every single day. It's like Facebook, Twitter, uh, Fox News, CNN. It's like the disciples of this culture just constantly. They existed in the Bible. One of the most famous disciples philosophers in the Bible, it's a philosophy, it's called Stoicism. Have any of you ever heard of it? Stoicism was such an amazing philosophy that some people read Paul and they read the Stoics and they're like, oh, we're going to mix it all together. And today, Stoicism is back popular, more popular than ever in our culture. The Stoics had a way of teaching and the philosophers of Stoicism called people to be disciples of their teaching. I read a quote of, a, of a, a Stoic philosopher a few weeks ago, and I thought, you know what? If I lived in the Bible times, I would probably get tempted by this kind of quote. That's what it says. One of the most famous Stoic philosophers who's around during when Paul is around. He says this, The key is to keep company only with who uplift you, whose presence calls forth your best. Have you ever heard something like this in our culture? Have you ever heard people say this? You need to find people who, who bring the best out of you who get you on the same place. You know people who believe this, they would have hated Jesus. Because Jesus found a way to be the people who brought him down. Jesus picked disciples who were a disaster. Jesus taught them for three years and they still didn't get it. You know how many times it would have been like, those Stoics, they sound pretty good right now. Let's get rid of these clowns. They don't listen. They don't read. They don't understand the Torah. What's a teaching today that you're tempted to follow rather than to be a disciple of Jesus? What's something in our culture that we're tempted to hear and to be like, yeah, I want to believe that, and you realize, wait a second, I can't believe that and follow Jesus. That's not going to work. You can never be a stoic disciple of stoicism and then go and meet Jesus because teachings like this would confront the very heart of the teaching of Jesus as he would take a tax collector whose life was a mess, stealing money, and he says, hey, you, you should be my disciple. Sometimes some of them would be apostles, People would have been like, who wants that? Why would you want to be about people who bring you down? And Jesus is like, I will teach you to be full of grace and full of truth. 
Just walk with them. Watch what I do now. Today, one of the greatest temptations we will face to ignore being disciples of Jesus, I told you already, and it's not going to ever change, it's to be consumers of spiritual ideas that make you look like a Christian. That make you tell other people, I am a Christian, I believe in God, but I'm not into anything that's like really about discipleship or I don't really read the Bible or go to Bible study or grow in my faith. I just, but I'm a Christian in my heart. You know how long that would have lasted following Jesus? He would have spotted that a mile away. You know why? Because he was calling people to be discerning disciples. Discerning about how the world is making them think that they're following, but they're not. For the next few minutes, I just want to tell you three important things that make it so unique to having been a disciple of Jesus versus a disciple of anyone else in the ancient world. One of the first things Jesus will start to do to his disciples, he will start to hint at the fact that they're not just disciples of his, they're disciples of his for the sake of the world. This would have been such a unique thing because if you're a teacher, the more disciples you have, the more popular you are. You're not really giving your disciples away. John started to do this, and now Jesus is going to do it in a powerful way. That one, Jesus is making disciples, he's sending into a changing world. He's preparing them that when he leaves, they will be ready and equipped to be in a world that is complex, changing, overwhelming, depressing, sad, to be his disciples there. Think about this passage, what Jesus will say one day. It's so profound. He says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep, in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Are you good at this? Are you good at being someone who's like wise as a serpent, which already, I'm already nervous, because you know, if you grow up in church, like a snake is like, snake, why would Jesus use a serpent? I was bugging my wife once about that. I'm like, we should get a pet. And she's like, yeah, a puppy. I'm like, no, a snake. She's like, no, why? That's so me. It's so bad. I'm like, why is that bad? Right away, she's like, well, the Bible. I'm like, well, Jesus says we have to be like serpents. They're like, that's in the Bible. I don't like the Bible. No, I'm kidding. My wife didn't say that. But uh, I just think that Jesus is like, you're my disciples. And as my disciples, I've taught you to be discerning enough to know when to be innocent. Some translations will say gentle as a dove and to be wise as a serpent to enter spaces that will be messy and you have to watch and listen and sometimes be quiet, sometimes pray, sometimes say just one word. When I think of the people I know who do not go to church, who do not believe in God, they don't think of Christians as people who are innocent and wise. I know people who say they're never going to be Christians because of loud, annoying, yelling, people who never practiced being discerning disciples, but they call themselves Christians. It sounds so good. Jesus says, I'm making you to be these kinds of people. You know why this is so important? Because the world will keep changing. The world will keep, keep getting more complicated. And if we don't learn to be these kinds of disciples, we will always see the world as doom and gloom. Oh no, I can't believe it. Bunker down, hide in a bunker church. Hope our kids don't talk to anybody who doesn't believe what we believe. No, no, we're developing discerning disciples that Jesus sends. And he says, you're my disciples. You will know, you will learn, you will grow to know and to be innocent as doves and sometimes wise as serpents. So something about the disciples, discipleship of Jesus was about descendingness. And it's another value of ours that we'll talk about in a little while. But just think about how easy it is to say, you know what, I love Jesus' teachings, but I don't want to be sent anywhere. I don't want to do anything. 
Anyone ever feel that? You're like, I'm just tired. I'm just busy enough with my own life. I don't want God to like stretch me and make me help in new ways and look for ways. Every one of us who claims to be a disciple of Jesus should be ready to hear Jesus say, hey, I'm sending you into that conversation as a disciple of mine. Go and listen to that person. I'm sending you into that work conflict meeting as a disciple of mine. Don't overreact like everyone else in that meeting is going to overreact. I'm sending you into a new neighborhood where you're going to live and you don't know anyone and there you're a disciple of mine. Just be present as a disciple of mine. May people know that your home is a home that is shaped with values of someone who is the disciple of mine. Be that kind of person. Now, I remember hearing this sent, and I'm like, God's going to send me to be a missionary. Like, I got to go somewhere. Right away. And it's such a great way to look at it that way because that means you don't have to do anything. You could just be like, oh, that's for other people. They're going to, you know, Africa and India. That's beautiful. I'll pray. No, no. Jesus sent everybody. He sent everybody differently in a different way. Discerning disciples are ready to be sent by Jesus. They're sent to be open, to grow, and to learn, and to sense God's leading by the power of the Holy Spirit to know when to be innocent, gentle, kind, respectful, and then when to be wise and to say something that's very clear about who we are, what we believe, and to do that in such a way that when people hear it, they will be like, who's your teacher? Where did you learn that? Because remember, discipleship in the Bible is not just to learn to be a student. It's to learn to be a student so that the teacher would be honored. That's so essential to Jesus. The other thing about Jesus' discipleship, I'm going to, this is the second one. Before I tell you what it is, I want to read the passage, okay? And I want to see, for those of you who are still awake, man, 9 o'clock, you'll be like, whoa, Pastor Dom, getting sleepy, some of you. I'm going to read the passage for you, and I want to see if you notice something so unique in this passage about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it says. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are what? My disciples, if you love one another. Have you ever heard this passage before? I've heard it so many times. Preached about it, know it, quote it, love, 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 all this stuff. And love, again, for many people, love is just like, uh, you know, sentimentality. Just love everybody. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. The reason Jesus is telling his disciples to love one another is that he knows there's going to be moments when they don't want to love one another. There's going to be moments where they're going to feel a tension of disagreement and fighting and arguing, and Jesus will be like, no, no. People will know that you are my disciples by the way you act in those moments, by whether you love one another. When it doesn't feel that that person you're talking to is lovable, you will love them. And who will know that they're Jesus' disciples? Just some people? Who will know? Everyone will know. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it was very important to Jesus that other people knew who his disciples were. It was very important to Jesus that people recognized his disciples because there were other teachers with other disciples. Jesus saw like, people will need to know that you are my disciples. This will be essential. You can go to the next slide and you'll see it. Maybe I wrote it this way for you to remember. Love as evidence to all. That to be a disciple of Jesus is someone who loves that is evidence to all that Jesus is the person we follow. One of the most discerning things that we do at the church, and I think I feel this as part of my job, is to pay attention to the things in our church and in our culture which will make us not love one another. 
I'm always learning to pay attention to when, even when I talk to people or when I hear a disagreement or a conflict or a discussion to be like, hey, is there something here that would lead us to not love one another the way Jesus called us to love one another? And if there is, we need to address it right away. That's what it means to be discerning in some ways. Maybe you experience this maybe if you're a boss or if you're a parent. You, you, you realize when there's a disagreement, you know when to step in and when not to step in. And I have this horrible habit, and I've had this from when our kids were young. And when there's a disagreement, I usually, you know, show up and I kind of go old school. You never know, old school. It's like dad's like the Hulk. Okay, kids, all right. Uh, dad's here. Uh, you're going to go over there. Any of you do this? None of you do this? You're all judgmental today. Everybody's like, I don't know about Pastor Dom. It's value next week. Don't worry, we're going to get you. No. But I had this sense, you go in, and my wife, she taught me this amazing gift. She would say, Dom, like, when you show up, just don't say anything. Just let them work it out themselves. I'm like, ah, it's going to take long. <laughs> They're not going to know who the boss is, right? And, she, and it's so true. I had to learn that something about discernment is that Jesus watches his disciples. He knows that they're disagreeing. He's like, you have to practice loving each other now. The world will need to know that you're my disciples. So what are you going to do now? We know that there's a disagreement among the disciples of Jesus of who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus waits and he waits and he waits until it comes to the surface and then he addresses it. Are we becoming the kind of church that is helping you, helping others, not just call themselves Christians, but become discerning disciples of Jesus that can deal with the world, that can be the church that the world needs? Because if you don't learn this, you will look for a church that just feeds your desires. You just want a bit more Bible study for you and for your, you want a place for your kids, but when your kids are gone, you're gone, right? It's easy to be a consumer, a disciple of so many other things, but never be a disciple of Jesus. The last thing Jesus will say, and left the last one for the hardest. You can go to the next slide. The most difficult thing is that to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to deal with the issue of the cross. This one would have been like, Now, the first thing I want to tell you before I read a passage is that the disciples still have not seen Jesus go to the cross. So they're like, cross? What is the guy talking about, cross? Cross for what? And Jesus one day will say to them, he will look at the crowds, he will say, if you're my disciples, this is the way it's going to look like. This is what he says to them. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's just be honest. I'd be with Jesus for a long time, but I hear this, and I'm like, guys, I think I'm out. Like, what do you mean? Like, we left John, we left other things to follow you. We get it that we should love more. Okay, that's good. The world love is all good, yeah. We get it that we might be sent and we have to be ready to go to new places. We get that. But did you just say, pick up, take up your cross to follow you? What? For some of you, you just, I, I need to give you just a little bit of theology. Okay, we're just going to go just a bit deeper. This is important. So it's just, I need you awake right now. Somebody next to you is snoring. Just give them a little nudge. Hey, the lo- the Lord wants to speak to you now. All right. You got that? When Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not saying that we do something on the cross that he couldn't do. It's very important. The reason we can take up our cross is because Jesus hung on the cross. So remember that. And I have it in a slide just so it's easy. It's not confusing. Jesus died on a cross, making it possible for you to pick up your cross and follow him. So that we never confuse Jesus saying, pick up your cross. And I was so, I'm like, why would I pick up my cross if Jesus picked up his cross? 
I thought I'm following him, so I don't have to do that. Jesus said, you don't have to do that in the same way that Jesus did it. But you have to be ready to learn that to be a disciple of Jesus and to grow in the discerning ways of Jesus will be to pick up and to hold on to all of the painful things around you. And if you're thinking of cross, don't even think of like a wooden cross. Think of the kinds of things that still hold you bound that Jesus has set you free of. Think that Jesus went on the cross so that we live in a world where we feel the pressures of this world, but the world doesn't have our heart anymore. The world doesn't have our mind anymore. The the, the world doesn't have our schedule anymore. The world doesn't get to set our expectations anymore. That Jesus says, if you are my disciples, I will give you a strength to face the things you must pick up that will feel like your cross, and I will give you a strength because of what I do to live a life where even as you're picking up those difficult things, you will show the world that you are my disciples. My disciples. What kinds of things maybe in your life do you feel feel like a cross? Feel like a heavy burden? Feel like things that keep you up at night? A few years ago, I remember this feeling in my own life, in my own heart, like I was feeling so overwhelmed that pressures, home and church and responsibilities. And I remember having these chest pains. And maybe I shared this with the church. And I finally went to go see a doctor and they, they asked, you know, some questions. And they said, so what do you what do, you do for a living? I'm like, well, um, you know, I teach some things, you know. <laughs> uh, they're like, no, like, what's your job? I'm like, well, I'm a church. I work in a church. I'm a pastor. And he says, uh, pour le bon Dieu. <laughs> you know, for the good Lord. You know, and I'm trying to explain to him. You know, yeah, I do. And he says, aren't you not supposed to be worried when you're a pastor? I'm like, easy, preacher guy. Tone it down. Tone it down. Just do your job. Check my knee. Check my elbow. Slow down. But I was like so convicted. I'm like, I think, it's, I think it's something true about that. That picking up my cross is never something I do in my own strength. Carrying all the things that I worry about is always done in light of the cross that only Jesus could take. And Jesus tells his disciples, you will have a strength to pick up your cross and people will know that you are my disciples. My disciples the world will see that you are my disciples because you are discerning when I send you. You are loving when it feels like you don't want to love and you're not sure and you're ready to pick up the cross that you carry and not abandon me but know that I have a strength for you in those moments. We are committed to be a church that helps you develop into a discerning disciple of the ways of Jesus. That's one of our values and it will not change. If you don't want that, you're going to hate this church. You're going to hate it because we're always going to be asking you to pay attention to how God is stretching you, how you're growing, how you're learning. And I've seen this time and time again, that it's easy to call yourself a leader, call yourself a Christian, call yourself, I'm into the Bible, all these things, and never do any of the things that require discipleship in the way of Jesus. Because other teachings and other ideas and so many other things are ready to disciple you and our kids that we have to be so committed to develop into discerning disciples of Jesus. I'm going to have Marius just play on the keys here, and I'm going to wrap up. But I want to tell you one last thing that Jesus will tell his followers. And it's something that I never forget. I think about this all the time. And Jesus says this to his disciples a few probably hours, if not days, before he's going to go and die on the cross. That he's preparing them now to understand that they did not waste their life 
following him as the great rabbi. And some of them will feel like, he's dead? Like, how did we make a mistake and follow the wrong guy? Like, we became a disciple of this guy? Jesus would have said, he told us about the cross. He told us about the power. He told us he would raise himself up. Like, they're going to they're gonna have to put all the pieces together, like, you know, Tetris style. Flip, clock, flip, click, all that stuff. Some of you don't play Tetris. Don't worry about it. Okay, all these moments are coming together. And Jesus says, it is to the glory of the Father that you bear much fruit with your life. And the world will know that you are my disciples. How profound is that? That there's a a, a secret of the discipleship of Jesus that as we discern to be those who are sent where he sends us, as we commit to be those who love in the most strange ways, and as we commit to pick up our cross, even when things look most broken, Jesus says, you will see fruit begin to grow. And as that fruit begins to grow, it doesn't bring glory to you, it brings glory to the Father. So that's how the world will know that you are my disciples. Live that way. Walk in that way. Commit yourself to developing into this discerning way of life that I'm calling you to. Jesus is still doing that today. Jesus is still looking for people who are willing to be committed to not only, you know, call themselves Christians, read the Bible, but to discern what it means to step into the unknown, the pain, the brokenness of our world and say we're going to continue to develop as discerning disciples of Jesus. Because to do that, fruit will begin to grow and it will be glory to God and the world will know that we are His disciples. Let's just stand as we close. John's disciples go to John the Baptist. Is he the one? Have you prepared us for this moment to go follow him now? John's like, he's the one. Follow him now. Let him define who you are, why you exist, that his purposes should be your purposes. Follow him now. Many of us know people who've never heard what it means to make Jesus the person that they follow. Many of us live with people, love people, work with people who've met Christians who are not disciples of Jesus, who've gone to churches who don't model being discerning in a difficult time. And we are called to be a different kind of church. And this must be a value we stick to, that we are discerning to be disciples of Jesus. And before I pray, I want to tell you one important thing. That it would have been very common in the Bible times that oftentimes people would have gone to the disciples of Jesus and asked them, is he a teacher worth following? Is that Jesus of Nazareth there, the guy who does the miracles, that guy? Is he a teacher worth following? They would have seen their lives and they would have been like, can anybody follow that guy? Can we come? Can we be disciples of his? Our lives become the first thing the world sees when they're asking the question, is Jesus worth following? If someone is with you this week, will they see your life and say, whatever you're doing, Jesus, you make Jesus worth following? Because I see your life and I'm like, he's the guy I want. I want to follow him. I want to be a disciple of his. What do I do? 
But we need to learn that Jesus will ask us one day, that my disciples, you were my disciples, and I left you with important things to do. So we commit together to be those who practice grace and truth, looking at the world through a lens of hope and discerning discipleship. Those are the values that are going to really count. I promise you that. Let's just pray. Father, as we think about the many ways that you continue to call people to follow you, we surrender this morning again that you're calling us to recommit to being discerning as we follow you as your disciples. We know it will never change that the world will offer so many other options. And that's not new. But we are committed today to be those who go where you call us to go, who love in the most difficult times, and who know that there's a strength for us to pick up our cross because you went to the cross. So even as we think about the things you're preparing us for as a church, this new chapter, our two gatherings, just inviting our community to grow with us and to make a difference in the world, Jesus, would you help us to be those that when those in the world look on, that they would know, everyone would know that we are your disciples. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks, everyone. Really grateful to do this again, 9 o'clock. Good job, 9 o'clock people. Up here early. Hey, if you're here serving, yeah, clap, clap, clap for yourself. If you're here serving in the next gathering, I just want to say thank you in advance. And you're going to see people trickling in between services. They're going to ask you, how did it go? Say it was on fire. <laughs> Love you guys. See you soon.